You can turn your Bibles to James chapter 2 for our message this morning. It's been a few passages that I've been meditating on recently, and it seems like they all fit together. Um, as I was studying, I didn't realize that they all fit together until towards the end. Um, I was challenged by the, the thought of Ben's as well this morning, and I didn't even see it in our lesson this morning till he was talking about it. It said, These follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And that actually kind of summarizes my message this morning. James chapter 2, verse 8. Some verses here that are difficult for me to understand, and I've been challenged by into trying to understand what is the Lord trying to say through Brother James. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Now I like the wording that is used here. It says, by the law of liberty. It seems like a contradiction. Um, law and liberty, how can those two go together? Actually, it's not a contradiction. Um, it's actually why God created laws in the first place. In our country, even in our, our forefathers who, who drew up the Constitution, they implemented laws, and why was it? They wanted to maintain liberty for all citizens. Uh, when God of heaven and earth decrees a law, it's not a law to bring bondage. We, we look at this so upside down so quickly. God never decreed a law to bring bondage. It's always to keep us free from bondage that Satan wants to put us in. Um, and here was this law of not respecting people. Now, if I would say, how many of you respect people? Uh, no, we, we treat them all the same. But yet, this is so easy to do. We, we, we love being around people that are easygoing and go like this when we talk. Um, we respect those people, right? Because they respect us. Um, but the law of not respecting persons, it's a blessing in verse 8. Um, we do well, it says. If you fill the royal law of liberty, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. It's actually, there's a freedom there. Um, verse 11, there's a law of not committing adultery. There's a law of not killing. And there's, there's a freedom there when we actually embrace that law. It's, it's not a bondage to be under that law. There's people in bondage to being cynical. There's people in bondage to being critical. We know what that feels like. And yet we think, well, no, I have the freedom to say this. Actually, it's, it's the bondage that, that it creates in our lives. And it's not the freedom. When we, when we follow God's law, there's always that law of liberty that we can be free. Um, even in a country that, um, can you imagine if it was legal for us to kill? How many of you would have knocked off a few people last week? Uh, if it would be legal for you to commit adultery... How many times would you, if it was totally legal in the country, 
you would say, well, uh, that they call that free love, right? That, that was pushed so hard back in the 60s. Free love. Uh, we have freedom now. And, and you look at it, and it's the greatest bondage there is. Even though, technically speaking, that law may say you have the freedom to do so. It brings people under bondage when we don't follow the liberty of the law of Christ. Christ's law is always there to make us free. But this one verse, um, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. What a verse. Um, now there are some who would say, well, well just give up because you can't keep it all. So if you can't keep it all, then all your righteousness is Christ and that means you don't have to do anything. You just have to believe. That's how some people take this apart. And yet, what is he really trying to help us understand? There's a deeper message after studying and meditating for some time on this passage. It's, it's been an incredible blessing and an incredible challenge to me. Um, if I can look at it from this way. We tend to have heroes. Um, and heroes are a good thing. If I would say, who are your heroes? Could you give me any names? Who were your, your heroes as a child? Could you give me any names? Um, we tend to have heroes. And, and that's not a wrong thing. David is a hero. Hebrews 11 lists many, many heroes. It, it goes on and on. Heroes is... Uh, that's something we do. We, we have heroes. People that we look and say, Ah... Philippians 3 says, Mark them which walk, so you have us for an example. In other words, have godly heroes. People that you look to. Uh, I understand we also live in a time where people, well, they are their own hero. Um, teacher was going around asking the students in Hayward School who their heroes were. And the one second grader said, Myself. Um, You'd never admit that, would you? But, but um, too many of us, that's our hero. That's ourself. Did you see how I... Do you remember when I said? Um, that means we're, we are our own hero. But um, many people have heroes. Heroes is not a, a bad thing. However, um, this is the problem I think that we're facing as Christianity. Many or most people view God as their hero. God is your hero. You'll be amazed at how he, how he loves, how he has decreed law, how he operates. You'll be amazed at how he operates. You'll even worship him as a supreme being. Um, a hero, you'll even pattern much or most of your life and your actions after. Um, that's a hero. You, you, you admire them. You're in awe of them. And even much of their life you'll copy because they're your hero. Um, but God isn't calling us to just look at Him as a hero. The question in Scripture is, are you a disciple? And that's what actually this verse is asking about. Are you a disciple? Um, a disciple is someone who doesn't take or leave what they want from another. A disciple of someone takes all or doesn't qualify as a disciple. I believe that's what he's addressing here. 
Um, these were great Christians in the book of James that he was addressing the Jews, um, Jewish, Jewish people at that time. And he addressed the issue of respect of persons. And he said, if you have respect of persons, you're not doing well. This has to change. This must be right as a disciple of Jesus Christ. They couldn't say, well, I'm totally committed to Christ. We are totally committed to Christ. We'll even suffer for Jesus' name. But, you know, as far as this uh, respect of persons, just shrug my shoulders. I, I just, you know, I don't see that. A disciple can't do that. 100% all in. These follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. That's what a disciple does. Now, there's a word that goes with a disciple. Um, the follower is called a disciple. And the one being followed is called, does anybody know? I want to venture a guess. The follower is a disciple. The one being followed is always called Close. 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 There's one word in the Gospels. The word is Lord. If someone's a disciple, they will. the one being followed is Lord. Now, this is... You, you know, I, study the Scriptures in, in relation to that. How many times did the scribes, Pharisees, lawyers, and Sadducees come and ask Jesus a question? Many times. I mean, there, there's, I don't know if there's hundreds, but many times they came and asked him a question. And do you know how they addressed him? They called him master. They called him uh, teacher. They called him rabbi. But you know, not one time in the Gospels, not one time did they say, Lord, what should I do? Not one time did they say, Lord, not one time. Because calling him Lord meant now you're his disciple. Okay? And a disciple is not someone who gives and takes, not someone who says, well, you know, I know that you're saying that, but I actually think I have a different idea. A disciple is someone who's all in. If someone was a disciple of Charles Darwin this morning, and would stand up and say, you know, I am a disciple of Charles Darwin. And you would say, can you explain to me where the molecules came from that created the Big Bang? And he would say, well, actually, that's kind of embarrassing what Darwin came up with there. But in every other area, I agree with Darwin you would say, well, you're not a disciple of Darwin. He, he's your hero, right? He's your hero. Uh, you, you follow him in a lot of ways and you think, wow, what a great thinker. But you're not a disciple. A disciple takes everything Darwin said and adheres to it. Um, it's kind of like having your mouth completely around the hose, all right? You're going to take whatever comes down, comes out of that hose. A hero versus discipleship. A hero can be in awe. They can worship that hero. They can promote others to accept your hero as their hero. Um, this can all be done just with a hero relationship. You can, you can promote, you can travel all over the world to try and promote your hero. 
I, I remember as a young person, my hero was Michael Jordan. I'm nothing like him, can't jump like him, can't shoot a hoop like him, but he was a hero of mine. And I remember at school I met a fella who said his hero was Larry Bird. And Larry Bird was another basketball player that he wasn't any good in my book. And, you know, my thought was, fella, you're messed up. You need to look at the stats and see who Michael Jordan is, and you'll change your mind on this Larry Bird fella. Okay? All under the name of heroism or being a hero, you can try and promote your hero as he is somebody to look at. If somebody says, my hero is Donald Trump, and somebody else comes along and says, what? You know what? There's hair that comes up on the back of your neck. And, you know, we're ready to fight. Because we have a hero. But God is calling us to so much more than looking to Him as our hero. A disciple doesn't pick and choose what they want to follow from their Lord. If we offend in one point and just shrug our shoulders, we're guilty of not following Him as a disciple. We're guilty of rebellion. And one ounce of rebellion is enough to tip the scales, is what it's saying. If we question the legitimacy of what our Lord teaches us today, He is a hero for us more than we are a disciple for Him. Now, I look at the Old Testament and in the church era, and there's many people who view Jesus as a hero. Um, Jesus provided an incredible salvation plan. Uh, Jesus was completely wise in his teaching and in his administering and in his helping others and his healing others in reaching people. Incredible. He gave us an incredible picture of who God is. But the call of Christ was always, always, always discipleship, which is an eternal difference more compared to having him as a hero. Now, why do I bring this up? This is the question um, that comes to us in our day, I, I believe. We, we focus so much, and evangelical people have, have taught us in this, we focus so much on people making a commitment on people coming to a conversion experience. Turn to Matthew 18. And if an ungodly man made a commitment, the question is, was that commitment that they will stop being their own hero and now have Jesus as their hero? Or was that commitment, I will be a disciple? He is my Lord. That's where it must be as believers. That's where it must be. So as we think and as we live, the, the question comes back is, it, can I truly call Him Lord and not do the things He says? He says, no, you can't do that. A lot of times we focus in evangelism. The big focus is conversion. Um, the more I read the Gospels, how many times did Jesus talk about conversion? How many times did he talk about discipleship? Or as um, I believe Marlon said in, in Sunday school, follow me. How many times did he say, follow me? Um, discipleship. 
in our time, there's a tremendous focus on conversion. Even the most unbiblical-based churches, even in cults of our day, speak of conversion. Um, how many of you think that Jehovah Witnesses encourage you and demand that you be born again? Do you believe they say that? They say that. They say you must be born again. How many of you think Mormons say you must be born again? That's a fact. The Mormons say you must be born again. They focus on conversion. How does this come apart? Why are they a cult then? Why, what don't they believe about Jesus? Why, what, what's wrong with the Mormons? If they say, like we say, you must be born again. There's a dividing line. The dividing line is you can't call him Lord and not do the things he says. The dividing line is discipleship. We can't just say, well, see, we believe in the Mennonite church that you must be born again. Yeah? And then what? Discipleship must be part of the Christian's experience. And discipleship means I, I don't just follow what I want to do. That means 100% I am in and I will live as Jesus taught me to live. Now, all of us have people that we, we are around who are married, divorced, and now remarried. And they say, is that right? Or, you know, surely God understands. Surely, surely He can give me a, a blank check because of what my wife did. Surely He can. And, and yet the question comes back, well, do you want to be a disciple of what Jesus said? Or do you just want to go back and say, no, I was, I had this conversion experience back here, and so that's going to take care of everything. I really don't need to be a disciple. That doesn't work for anybody. Okay? And it's easy to pick on uh, married, divorced, remarried, because we know we're not there. Uh, how does a disciple talk about others when they're not around? How does... A disciple think about others. Um, Jesus, Jesus tells us all about these things. And why does he say that? Because he, he looks for disciples. He, and we as understanding, if we truly understand that this is the law of liberty, this is what sets us free. We embrace it. We don't, we don't say, oh, do I have to? So our focus is on discipleship. Friends, that's a, a key difference. Matthew 18 verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, those two go together in Jesus' teaching. You be converted and become as little children. There's a picture of a disciple, a little child. I was talking with a game warden a few weeks ago, and I found it interesting. Um, he's one of the only game wardens in Sawyer County. He kind of handles it by himself. And I said, covering that vast of an area, what's your chances of happening across the person who's committing uh a crime against the game laws, like people who are causing infractions. They're, they're going to shoot deer out of season. They're going to catch too many fish, etc., etc. How, how do you know where to be and when to be there? 
And he's, he, he said something that was uh, easy to understand. He said, it's actually pretty easy. He said, there are... I'm sorry, this is not politically correct. <laughs> but he said, there are families where mom and dad do not follow the game laws. And you know what? Guaranteed, you might as well watch that area. Because you know what will their children will do? Same thing. And there are families who respect the game laws of the county, of the, of, of the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, you don't have to really worry about it. They got this. And it's because mom and dad follow, children are going to follow. That's the basic setup. So he said, there are, you know, six areas where you tell me the last person's name. I'll tell you where they live, and I can tell you why I know they live in that area. Because they are a repeat customer. And I know if their grandpa was a repeat customer, their grandchildren most likely are going to be a repeat customer. You say, why do I say that? that that's what I'm saying is discipleship. As a little child. You know, that little child is drinking in what their parents are teaching them. Whether good or whether bad, they're drinking it in. And we as God's people, friends, conversion is absolutely necessary. We must be born again to see the kingdom of God. That's absolute. And we also, as he says here, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there's an and, there's a connection there that there's a conversion. Now Jesus is saying now there must be a discipleship. There must be. I, I fear that we can be caught up in the evangelical world that where the focus is just get them saved. Just get them converted. We'll leave the rest up to them and God. Jesus never put the full-out surrender in small print at the end of the contract. Never did that. He said, if you follow me, leave everything behind and follow me. You can't do this half-heartedly. He didn't say that in secrecy, in a whisper mode to Peter when nobody else was listening. You know, I wonder if these people really understand that they're, uh, they're going to have to give up everything to follow me, not 99%, everything. They're going to have to give up everything to follow me. He said that right in bold letters in the front of the contract. But we can't focus, we can't lose our focus of discipleship and just put it on, well, I've had an experience with Christ. I'm saved and so now I'm good. Um, I believe when we focus on that apple, so to speak, that's all we're going to hit. Frank Addington um, is a professional archery shooter and he pulls the bow back you heard me talk about him before he pulls the bow back behind his back like he gets back here he pulls it back and somebody throws a baby aspirin from here to the window away and he will shoot it out of the air now that's a lot more than I could ever even think of doing his vision is 820 which means he can see about like a hawk so he said to that to him that baby aspirin is a lot bigger than what we see it. And I'm thinking, 
well, bigger to see it that way or not. It's still <laughs> not going to change the size of the aspirin. But he can take and he can shoot that baby aspirin. In fact, he can shoot three of them out of the air at once with three different arrows pulled back in his bow all at one time. Um, you can see it on YouTube if you don't believe me. Incredible. He said, you know, one of the hardest shots that he ever did was when they stood him up and there was hundreds of people there. And this was a, sh- a shooting demonstration. And they got a mannequin of a fella and they put an apple on top of the mannequin's head. And they said, shoot the apple off the top of that mannequin's head. And I'm thinking, well, the apple's this big, all right? I could do that with my bow when I, back when I practiced all the time. And the aspirin's that big. Um, he said, no, it's a way harder shot if you're shooting an apple off a mannequin and everybody's watching. What gives? He said, the whole time you're there ready to shoot, you have to keep telling yourself, focus on the apple. Focus on the apple. Because you know what? You shoot instinctively. And he said, when you shoot, you're so worried about not hitting the mannequin in the head that that's exactly what you do. you got to focus on the apple. You can't take your eye away from that. I don't know how many times Jesus has put the focus on discipleship, calling Him Lord. And, and somehow, we lo- when we lose that focus in everyday life, He's my Lord. I will go online. When I'm online, He is my Lord. There's nothing I'm going to go to. There's nothing I'm going to put in front of my eyes that He wouldn't want me to put in front of my eyes. I am His disciple. He's my Lord. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 14 yet. I believe that's why he says, if any man, if we offend in one, we're guilty of all. But we're not walking as a disciple anymore when we shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's just what I'm going to do. Um... I was challenged as I read the Great Commission. It says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Go ye there and for and make conversions. Get people saved. It's not what it says. He says in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's American Standard Version. The NIV says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That goes right with James chapter 2. Matthew 28, the New Living Translation. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. As you look at this um, correlation in Scripture, you will see very few times when people called Him Lord other than the disciples. There's just a few women actually that did that. The one was the lady taken in adultery and... The men walked out because they had sin and they recognized that and they walked out and Jesus said, does any man condemn you? And she said, no man, Lord. That's huge. That's huge, huge. And as we make disciples, we want to get them to recognize the great salvation in Jesus Christ, but the great salvation in putting Him as Lord. Um, In... In Romans, if any man, sorry, let me get my scripture correct. Romans 10, 9. 
if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Why does it say Lord there? Because that is putting ourselves in discipleship under Him. We're saying we're all in. We're not saying, well, these points over here, I, I don't really feel like it, and these things I can't really change. Disciple means we're all in. It's not an easy work, and as we look at that, it's overwhelming. Some people are questioning then, well, if we focus, if we have too high of an ideal, we'll be totally unsuccessful, right? Or will we be unsuccessful in reaching the loss? Um, there's a fellow who comes into the store. Um, you know him. Um, many of you know him, I should say. He works in jail ministry. He, he has a success rate of helping people be converted like no other. Um, he was in the other day and said, yeah, I got three more fish. I said, really? I don't, Lord, help me not to be cynical, right? I got three more fish last week. I said, well, are they reading the Bible? Or are they all in? He said, no, now wait a minute. They're not going to be Mennonites tomorrow, all right? I said, I'm not saying Mennonites. Are they a disciple? Well, they're saved. There's a vast difference. Friends, it's, it's easy to say, well, let's try to be uh, recognized as legitimate. Let's just try to get people in one way or the other. Lower that bar however, we need, however low we need to lower it. Skip the thing of discipleship and just try to get them saved. That isn't what the bar... It's not for us to adjust if we're calling Him Lord. It's not an easy work. Ezekiel 14, verse 12. This passage is um, an incredible challenge. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut it off, man and beast, from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by the right by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause a noisome beast to pass through the land and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughters. They shall only be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, Sword, go through the land, so that it cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. What, what a success rate we have here. God says, when I cause judgment because of sin upon the land, and if these three men, now these were the top three, right? Seemingly in the Old Testament. We got Noah, a man who preached righteousness 120 years without one amen. Zero. People mocked him from his own family. 120 years. And then there's Job. The patience of Job in enduring. I mean, his wife gave up on him. His friends gave up on him. And yet they were disciples when nothing made sense. They still held to faithfulness. And a man named Daniel. I, Daniel is my hero. 
Even when 120 princes stood against him, even when nobody stood with him, he was faithful to his convictions of calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ, calling upon God. And Daniel was faithful in the midst of a very turbulent time in Israel, and even in the land of Babylon, where he was, where he was given so many opportunities to sin. Daniel held true, and Daniel was preaching righteousness, I believe, right to the end, and living righteousness. And Noah and Job and Daniel, these three men, I believe, were disciples of God. They called Him Lord. When nothing else made sense, they still called Him Lord. When no one else would follow them, they still called Him Lord. I imagine the grit that these men had. It didn't matter what the world thought of them. It mattered what their Lord thought of them. Like Joseph who said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? As I look at this passage, it it might put you to sleep. It might challenge some of you. I, I, I feel it's too easy in our lives to pat ourselves on the back because we recognize Jesus as our hero who did an incredible work for us. I, as I study this, I... I truly want to say, Lord, in every area of life, I want to be a disciple. I don't want to cause the call of Christianity to be lowered, to see how many people we can get in to be legitimate. It's nothing to do with the call of salvation. It's about raising the banner for Jesus Christ and truly calling Him Lord. And helping others understand that there's a freedom in that. That's not a bondage. Um, some of the looks on our faces, it, it looks like bondage is happening. All right, There's a freedom in that as we truly embrace calling Him Lord and doing everything He says. If you're able to kneel for prayer, would you kneel at this time? Lord, I thank you for your word this morning and the challenge of the book of James, chapter 2. Lord, I pray that um, as the early Christians recognized you as Lord and changed their thinking on respect of persons, Lord, I pray that each of us would recognize again discipleship, the importance of helping others understand discipleship. Lord, truly you're coming to call us home soon. And I pray, Lord, that you would not... um, be disappointed as our lives are weighed in the balance, that we wouldn't be with a group who you say, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Help us, Lord, to be faithful, to be accountable, and to build your kingdom with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.